And welcome to the first pilot episode of the World Between Your Ears interactive short story podcast. I'm your host, Emma, and I'll be joined today by Becky, Neil and Joe to read your short stories and poems, as well as reviewing our recent reads. The idea of this podcast is to entertain and inspire listeners, as well as to give a platform for writers of all types and genres. If you already like the sound of it, head on over to www.greencables.co.uk for details of how to get involved. Coming up on today's show, we have a story about the battle between artistry and corporate work from Uma Hazit, a story from Georgie Bull's first short story collection, Voices, called The Sea Word, and a poem from Phil Marsh about what goes on inside his fridge. And now, wasting no time, let's get stuck into our first story. Why would I want to do that? By Uma Hazit. The reception is wide and grey. Everything is grey. The water cooler, the walls, the old before-her-time receptionist who stares unseeing towards a tarmac of the car park through the sporadically sliding doors. The carpet, a daring mottled pinkish-grey. I fold my jacket around myself and look down at the shoes that are so impossibly unlike me. Round-toed, low-heeled, suede and depressingly grown-up. That I feel like a character. An air conditioner hums above our heads and the radiator next to me pumps out heat. A pointless exercise that meets the conditions of compromise but doesn't quite please anyone. The plastic seat squeaks as I move on it. The door to the left of the reception desk opens and a woman leans out, precise in her movement and in her clothing. Neat boot-cut black trousers, flowery and feminine blouse. Blonde bob, sleek and attractive. She is perfectly pleasant. I stand, smile ingratiatingly and shake a hand. Mine is cold and dry, and I already feel that I'm not good enough. Jenny, is it? I'm Colleen. Come on through. I follow her through windowless offices, and my throat tightens. I look into rooms as we pass, and see snapshots of the reality of this place as I blink. Teams gathered around for a quick hustle before the day gets going. People conversing about the floor plate and slinging acronyms that sound like jokes. File it in the A-R-S-E system. That's a classic case for C-L-A-P. We head into an empty boardroom, the table ready to host 30 people. I can imagine being cramped in at the far end, unable to make a quick escape, and a wave of heat passes up under my plasticky Asda blouse. Colleen directs me to a seat and I remove my jacket, hoping that she can't smell the nervous sweat from where she's sitting. Marcus will be joining us in a moment. Would you like tea? Coffee? Tea, please, I say politely. Too polite to mention that actually I'm lactose intolerant and also I hate any tea that isn't Yorkshire and also I'm too nervous to possibly actually swallow anything. She glides out of the room. I can already feel my thighs expanding to fill the space, see the pretty little cupcakes eaten in the desperation of boredom. My brain is screaming, you shouldn't be here, and my logical, pinned down, beaten into submission inner voice whispers back, you don't have a choice. Marcus is like a beautiful Ken doll, blue suit and bleach white teeth and skin the colour of an expensive mahogany sideboard. 
He uses his words like he's buttering a piece of toast and smells like radox and lynx. He definitely uses words like agile to describe his lunch and probably on boards a lot of protein. I can't stand him. Thanks for seeing me today. I appreciate the opportunity. I smile. I keep smiling and laugh at a lot of things that aren't funny. I hate myself for it. From a distance, I hear the ping of a microwave. Someone is cooking something which might even be kedgeree, or perhaps the kitchen hygiene is lacking and they are just making tea. This thought makes me feel a bit sick. We talk around the weather and my sporadic employment history. I am charming, deferential and self-deprecating. I am clearly not a nutter or a thief. I am someone who enjoys travelling, who has tried to find themselves multiple times. I have, quote-unquote, got it out of my system. I have seen all I want to see. I have had enough of the freedom of not knowing what's coming tomorrow. I have given up. I am ready to be absorbed by the mothership. In the dark corners of my studio flat, the phone rings. I turn the heat down under the onions I'm frying and mute the John Grant album I was cooking along to. We'd like to offer you the job, says the brisk woman. My head swells and I reach for a swig of G&T. Oh, wow, I say, my throat suddenly drying up so severely I have to cough. And it is a wow. The thought of replacing my shabby sofa, getting a new pair of trainers that have actual intact soles, being able to go a month without asking my weary sister if she can loan me 20 quid for groceries. We'd like an answer by the end of the day, the brisk woman is saying. The money would be amazing. It would. It's why I went to the interview. You need to get a proper job, my mother snaps at me. Stop all this fanning about with painting. How are you ever going to get a mortgage? Why do I want one? How are you ever going to find a nice man? Why do I want one? How are you ever going to become middle-aged and realise you wasted the best years of your life sitting behind an unblinking luminous screen and looking out of the window at the sky at the breeze you wish you could feel on your skin rather than the air-conditioned nightmare that's gusting down and necessitating you to put a cardigan on in the middle of August? My brushes are resting on the table where I leave them at the end of each night's painting. The canvas I'm working on is a mess, smears of colour when I carried on past the point of exhaustion. But the image speaks to me in its bright, hopeful wilderness. I think... I grip the handset in both hands. Can you start Monday? I'm shaking with the force of decision. Can I? If I start on Monday, I have to finish something very important on Sunday. No, sorry, I hear myself say. Clear my throat. No, I've been made a better offer. Oh, thanks though. Appreciate the offer. Bye. I hang up before I can say anything else. Slam the phone down on the hard wood of the table. Tears come to my eyes. That was close. I stood on the cliff edge and looked over. But I didn't jump or fall. Not this time. You've just heard Why Would I Want to Do That by Uma Hazit. To get your story read on The World Between Your Ears, go to www.greencables.co.uk to read the terms and conditions, and when you're ready, email contact at greencables.co.uk. The next story we've got coming up is The C Word. It's one of 12 short stories featured in Georgie Bull's first short story collection, Voices. The collection follows ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. Voices is available on Amazon or on her website, www.georgiebull.com 
I knock once, twice, a third time, then enter. I had already begun my apology before the door was fully open. I step into the room and pause. I had expected to see my sister Emma crying in her bed, knees hugged to her chest, a mass of mascara-stained tissues covering her knees and stomach like a blanket. The bed is made and clean. Teddy's carefully arranged around her pillow and cushions. No sign of Emma. The blind rattles against the window. It's storming outside. All of her wigs are still on her desk and on the mannequins. Ten different lengths, styles, colours. Last night, before we went out, she had gazed at each one, frowning, considering, before finally reaching for one. Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be... The wind howls. One of the mannequins rocks, then topples over, and sends the whole lot down like dominoes. I run to the window and fasten it shut. The room is silent and still. Bold, faceless heads roll about on the floor. I bend down and stroke one of the wigs. The blonde one, her favourite. It's incredibly soft and smooth, made from real human hair. I told her, after she'd come home wearing it a month ago, that it made her look like Marilyn Monroe. She had said, that's why I chose it, to feel beautiful for once. I told her she was beautiful, because she was. I was the plain one, she was the pretty one, even with the hair loss. She hadn't replied, just stared at her reflection, and I could tell she didn't believe me. Emma's cancer changed everything. We'd always been close until she got a diagnosis. Then, day by day, she drifted away from me. She cut herself off, shut herself away, stopped laughing, almost stopped speaking. She only ever uttered a word when I asked her a direct question. Even when we were physically close, sat next to each other, I could feel the void between us. An invisible wall I haven't been able to break, whatever I say, whatever I do. The wall is her cancer. It pushed us further and further away from each other, and now all we do is argue. She lashes out because she's hurting, but I'm hurting too. We all are. Mum wanders around the house as if she's in a daze. Her tired, sunken eyes always hold in a question. Why did this have to happen to us? Dad is mostly silent these days. In the mornings, he downs a cup of coffee and then runs off to work, away from it all, and doesn't come back until late. A fissure has opened up between our parents. At first they huddled together in their grief, clutching onto that spark of hope we all had when Emma started a chemotherapy, hoping that she'd get better. But she didn't. She got worse, and finally they fell apart. They avoid each other. We all avoid each other, barely speak to one another. A house has become a silent prison. There's only one thing that we want, need to talk about. Cancer. But Emma has banned us all from talking about it, even uttering the word, the dreaded C word, as if it would go away if we all just ignored its existence. It's a terrible thing to admit, but sometimes I hate my sister. Our whole family is falling apart, but she can't see past herself and her pain, won't accept that she's not the only one affected by her cancer. It's destroying us all. The family has rallied around her. Uncles and aunts and cousins who hadn't bothered to visit us in ten years suddenly started popping up out of the blue as soon as Emma was diagnosed. And while they're all so focused on looking after her, I'm pushed to the sidelines and ignored, lost in Emma's shadow. Nobody has any interest in looking after me. I pick up the wig. There's a piece of paper underneath. The edges, ragged, torn carelessly from a notebook. I pick it up and turn it over. Stenciled in...
stenciled images of Winnie the Pooh and Piglet adorn the header. It had to be from Emma's notebook. But that wasn't her handwriting. Not her usual neat, individually printed small letters. This was a barely legible scribble. I read it quickly. The blind cast shadows across the paper, almost blotting out some of the lines, while others are brought into sharp relief, highlighted by the moon. I wish I could describe the feeling of knowing that you're going to die. Knowing you're against the clock. That every second counts. The pressure of knowing that I waste precious minutes and the guilt that comes with it. And even more guilt that I look at everyone around me wasting their time, their lives, and wishing that I had the luxury to just be a normal girl. I have cancer, and I just have to pray that my chemo works. I don't even believe in God, but there's nothing else I can do. No matter how loud I scream, or how hard I fight, there's nothing I can do but hope and pray. And it isn't working. I feel helpless, useless, and I'm tired of living like this, this half-life. I'm tired of vomiting, of being too sick to get out of bed. I hate looking in the mirror and not recognising myself. I used to be pretty. Now my hair is gone and I look ill all the time and I can't do the things I want to do. Everyone tells me to keep on fighting, but who is it for? Them or me? Because I don't want to fight anymore. I'm too tired. I'm dying and I'm sick of waiting. I want it to be over. I'm sorry to my family and friends. I'm truly sorry. But I hope you understand that I need to find peace. Emma. The letter falls from my hand, flutters to the floor. For a moment, I'm frozen. Is this my fault? I wish you were gone, I'd said, but I didn't mean it. We'd argued over a boy. She liked him, but he liked me. The problem was I liked him too. Emma had asked me not to take his phone number. She couldn't deal with any more hurt or any more disappointment. But I'd grown sick of planning my life around my sister, constantly walking on eggshells, always putting her miles before myself. So I snapped. I call Emma. My hands shake so violently that I nearly drop the phone. It keeps on ringing, and then I hear it, a vibration coming from somewhere in the room. I follow the noise. I find her phone in a handbag. I feel cold all over. Emma never leaves the house without a phone. She's been glued to it for the past year, always talking to her new friends online. The only people who understand what she's going through, she says, though I've tried and tried. I call the police and report her missing. We argue over whether she's really missing. She left a suicide note. I think it is. She has cancer. I don't know where she might have gone. No, she left her phone and her keys here. She's not coming back. The woman on the phone says she'll send officers out to look for her and one to our house to talk to me, but I can't wait that long. I hang up, stuff my phone into my pocket and run out of the house. I'm already two streets away and soaked to the skin before I realise I've forgotten my coat. I run down the street, screaming her name, feet slapping on the pavement, sending splashes of icy water straight up my legs. The rain is so heavy that I can barely see. My throat burns, my legs ache, my hands and feet are numb, and I'm shivering so much that my teeth are chattering. It feels hopeless, futile, but I'm not ready to lose my sister. Not yet. So I keep on going. A light flashes red in front of me. At first I think it's a torch, then I recognise the rail crossing. The barrier is down for an approaching train. I'm squinting in the rain, and a flash of movement draws my eye. Emma, climbing over the barrier. I run over, shouting. She can't hear me, or she ignores me and climbs over the barrier. I follow her, drop down beside her. What are you doing? I scream at her. She jumps and stares at me, then a roar and a piercing white light splits the night. 
I grab her and cling to both her and the barrier. The air tugs at me, trying to pull me back as the train rushes past, horn blaring. The sound is deafening. For a split second, I think we're both going to die. My ears are ringing. I look to Emma and see her hands on the barrier, gripping so tightly her knuckles have turned white. And there it is. A spark of hope. She could have let go. I watch the lights on the train fade to pinpricks, swallowed by the night. Emma falls to her knees and I collapse beside her. We hug for the first time in months and cry together, grateful to be alive. An hour later, we are sat at the kitchen table in dry clothes with steaming mugs of tea. Two police officers are talking to our parents. The door is shut. We could only hear whispers of words and we stop trying to work them out. Emma glances at me, eyes wide and sad. Am I in trouble? No. They just want to help you. We all do. I'm going to die, Sarah. She says it like she believes it. I don't know what to say because despite years of hoping and wishing, I think I believe it too. You don't know that. She reaches for my hand, clasps it tight. I'm scared. Me too. I can't imagine my life without my sister in it. I don't even want to try. You have to keep on fighting. Emma looks down at the table. I'm so tired. But I would miss you. So would Mum and Dad. Everyone would miss you. My eyes fill with tears and I blink them back. A reflex action. We've all had years of training in being strong for Emma. What if you get better? You can't rule out that chance. You can't lose hope. She nods slowly and I see something in her eyes. Something that hasn't been there for over a year. A spark. Hope. It's a while before either of us speaks again. We just sit there holding hands. Emma shivers suddenly. I have to do something, she declares. I can't sit here any longer. What do you want to do? She smiles. Waste some time. That was The C Word by Georgina Ball. So now we're going to move on to our book reviews section where we're all going to just chat about books that we've read recently and uh, yeah, hopefully you'll get some recommendations out of it. So who starts? Emma, you have a book in your hand. What's it called? Well, this is a book that um, was recommended to me by Facebook. Books recommended by the book of face. Uh, and it came up and I'm a bit of a sucker for stories about um, people's lives, especially people who have trouble in romance. So this is Everything I Know About Love by Dolly Alderton. Um, it's, uh, and the cover's got some fun. You haven't crossed those things out on the I cover. I haven't crossed those things out. It actually says Everything I Know About Parties, Dates, Friends, Jobs, Life and Love by Dolly Alderton. And it's basically the story of, um, well, Dolly Alderton as she goes through her uh, early 20s as a total party animal and she's trying to get, trying to find love and she's doing all these modern things like Tinder and then she becomes 30. But so it's a... You're, not, you're forbidden from Tinder once you're 30, eh? Yeah, I think so. Oh. I don't know, it didn't come out until didn't, after I was 30, no, so... Way, oh. way too old for Tinder. Um, it's fascinating, though, just reading about other people's embarrassing and cool and drunken stories. So I um, definitely recommend this book. It sounds like a good holiday read. But I wasn't on holiday when I read it. But you felt like you were. But I felt like I was on holiday. I just, you know, blasted for it. It was, it was really good. I enjoyed it. Cool. Light, light-hearted, lightweight. 
Four out of five. Sounds good. <laughs> Four emmas out of five. Four emmas out of five emmas. <laughs> okay. Standard. Sounds good. Nice. Cool. Excellent. Who's next? Oh, I'll go next. Neil. Neil, <laughs> tell us what you've been reading recently and what okay. you thought of it. So, I have been reading the second book in a series uh, called The Great God's War, which is by my favouritist ever author, a man called Stephen Donaldson, oh. who's written tons and tons of amazing things, including the multiple massive epic multi-book Chronicles of Tom's Covenant, and the massive epic multi-book Gap series, and a whole bunch of other things. And he's getting really old, but he just keeps on writing, which wow. is really totally fine Ooh. by me. And uh, this... Uh, uh, second book in the series the first book in the series was called the seventh decimate which is this really kind of short he does this occasionally when he writes big series he starts off with almost like a little novella that you can just chew up okay in kind of a couple of hours yeah, like, yeah that noise exactly <laughs> and um he did that with the gap series and that turned into probably one of the best sci-fi series i've ever read and he's done the same thing here and the first book is kind of a little bit uh thin it's a little bit thin it just it just tracks one character through one stage of his adventure and you're kind of where's he going with this is this going to be epic and mm -hmm. the second book is like no it's not epic it's still kind of personal it's high fantasy it's magic and sorcerers and wars mm. and uh kings and queens and romance and it's got the whole thing but it's still st st what Stephen Donaldson does is he just focuses like a magnifying glass on two main characters dissects their characters completely for you as they go through their business and I can't recommend this author enough he's wow. absolutely magnificent and this is a really good book and it's cool cool so for for us lay men and women if what's something in the like popular media that if we like this we'd like this well that's the thing about Stephen Donaldson is he kind of doesn't write like popular fantasy oh, okay. uh, which is it's not some sort of um, not some way of saying that he's better than that it's, ju it's just different he focuses really heavily on pulling a character apart and most of his characters go through some stuff mm. yeah really go through okay. some stuff and some of them are really unlikable and stay unlikable some of them are unlikable and then become heroes and they go through these transformations um, so I honestly can't think of anything mm. that you might have seen on TV that's mm. like Steam with Donaldson's fantasy. Okay, but if you like your character-based sci-fi, get in there. Absolutely, it's it's less about complex plots. It's it's much less a Game of Thrones than than any other fantasy novels you might read. Although Game of Thrones is now the new kind of template, I think. Yeah. And you're gonna for the next fifty years, you're gonna pretty much get only that. Yeah. So if you're sick of that kind of thing. Stephen Donaldson is the place to go. If you're, if you're sick of your high fantasy elves and dwarves and and that kind of thing, if you're sick of your Game of Thrones, go to Stephen Donaldson's yeah. Thomas Covenant and other fantasy series. He's also written a series called Mordant's Need, which is relatively short at only two books. Um, <laughs> I like your conversation. Sing! <laughs> Sing! Uh, and he's written brilliant sci-fi, and, uh, and I'm going to well and truly take that hint and shut up about him now. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sold on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was put off by a comment you made the other day about what he does to his characters. The main characters, you said uh, they're the kind of person that you want to slap. Because they're slightly frustrating, so I think that might put me off his books. Mm. You've really got to want to like them most of the time. Yeah. And their, their transformation is really slow. 
like they are molded by hundreds and hundreds of pages of stuff that goes on until eventually just something clicks and they become a likable protagonist mm. but you've got to be up for that yeah. sort of thing you've mm. got to be up for just grinding your teeth and just screwing the book up and throwing it you've got to be in it for the long haul yeah right thanks Neil for that excellent review you're welcome <laughs> I mean, that's silly. <laughs> Even though I sounded you're gonna sarcastic. Cut, you're going to cut that bit out, right, about the extended <laughs> no, conversation? No, 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 it was hilarious. So. <laughs> it's got to be true to life, isn't it? Boom, boom, boom. Thud, 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 slam. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I could talk about the series I'm reading, here if you want. Yes. Talking about being in it for the long haul. Yeah. Um, I'm reading a 14-book series. So I'm currently on book 12. Wow. I'm, You're on a home stretch. Yeah. You it guys really just feel that way. Only uh, a couple more years to go and you'll <laughs> be finished. Well, I started thinking, 14 books. How is he going to get this story to go on for 14 books? And I, I sort of read the first one. I put it down. Thought, I'll read something else for a change. Went back to the second book. Got to the end of the second book. Tried something else, got to the end of the third book. And I was like, no, I've got to read the next one. I've got to read the next one. Got to read the next wow. one. And, it's so Moorish. Yeah, and I'm now at the point where you know you get like three quarters of the way through a book and you don't want to put it down. I'm like that, and there's two whole books to go. <laughs> what are they called? Yeah, Who are they yeah, by? You know, you know when you're at that point where you're at book 12 of a 14 book series and you've just got to know how it finishes? I think there are like, going uh, to be people out there who know what this book series is, I'm sure. This is The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. Apparently quite famous. I'd not heard of it until... Stupendously famous, yeah. Uh, no, friends of it, it recommended it to me recently. It is... Not that recently. What, what genre is it? <laughs> it's fantasy. Well, folks ago. It's, um... It's not elves and, and dwarves and things, but it is... There is magic. It's different world. There are armies, giant battles. Uh, doomsday kind of looming on the horizons. Really quite gripping, cool. and it's been building and building and building. And yeah, now I'm I can't put it down. <laughs> cool. Soon to be a major new TV series on Amazon Prime as well. Right? No, yeah, we're not sponsored, but we'd like to be. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to finish it in time before how it comes out. How do you out. do that? What? How do you sit? How do you look at a book series and go, "Why well, is only fourteen books?" How do you even start that? Because I, I absolutely refuse to start something. I can barely read one. Unless yeah. it's on the show. Finished <laughs> these days. I was like, yeah, I read a book. It was pretty nice. Yeah. He was like, well, I'm 12 books in. <laughs> if, if it wasn't a finished series, I don't think I could have started it. But knowing that it was finished, it okay. wasn't quite so bad. Are you getting quite sad now it's coming to the end? No, I'm still in the excited. Okay, that's good. Which is great. Yeah. <laughs> good. Cool. Cool. Nice, nice. Okay. Becky. All right. Tell us about what you've been reading. So I, my favourite book that, that I'm going to recommend today is, uh, it's not really, it's kind of fiction because it's stories within a non-fiction sphere. Um, and it's called Women Who Run With The Wolves. Um, it's got a longer title, uh, Women Who Run With The Wolves. <laughs> Wait for it. Uh, Myths and Stories of the Wild Woman Archetype. And it's by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And um, she is a Jungian psychoanalyst, a poet, uh, among many other things. She's a very talented woman um, and she has a Spanish and Mexican heritage. And what she does is, um, in this book, she's created an anthology of kind of um, 
stories that are based on folklore that she's either inherited or she's picked up from other countries and she's um, she's used them to help women in particular become in touch with their wildish nature. Um, so each story has a certain theme attached to it, um, for example, a uh, connection with the, the female form or relationships, families, um, daydreaming and not having that creative side that you so long for and that sort of thing. Um, and the stories are a wild range of um, sort of things from being, uh, you know, having kings and queens to the devil, um, a skeleton woman or a seal woman or um, a handless maiden. Um, and it's all about, um, and well, what the great thing is about this book is that not only do you get to read the stories, which are really interesting and they're short, so they're great sort of bedtime stories as well, but also um, before and after she introduces them and then she analyzes them and helps you sort of understand why they're so significant to us as uh, women. Um, one of the major themes is, it, is in it is not being able to sort of um, be as creative as we'd like to be in this sort of society. So it sounds quite heavy, but the use of folklore um, and imagery is really powerful. Mm, that so sounds yeah. way on my alley. I highly recommend cool. it. Yeah. yeah, so don't be fooled by the sort of self-help genre that is put in, because I know there's sort of stigma, stigma attached to sort of self-help books it's really different to your average self-help book it's really enlightening so yeah i'd give it a solid five out of five emmas oh <laughs> well, awesome. i didn't mark my book oh how many emmas would you give it i would give you can give it neils if you want i'm gonna give it neil i'd give it five out of five neils yeah this one yeah but only two out of five emmas <laughs> <laughs> well it's, that's the more discerning uh, uh score it's like a michelin star yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to reserve judgment until I finish my Okay, yeah, that's oh, wow, okay. We look yeah. forward to hearing how many Joes you give it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just a question about yours, Becky. Yeah. Was there any particular story that stuck in your head? Yeah, there was one about, um, well, the Handless Maiden, um, and I even went as far as like writing a little song about it because it was just so, it was so interesting to me. It was about, um, she was being sold off to the devil and in order to avoid this, um, she had her hands cut off. It sounds really, wow. it sounds really dark, but the way it's written is very kind of um, sort of spiritual. Um, and uh, she ends up leaving her family and having to go through uh, the woods and going through all these trials and tribulations um, in a very short amount of time. And the theme is that um, you have to, you can't live life without having to go through some initiations, as they call it. So sort of some difficult challenges in order to grow. So by the end of all this difficulty of having escaped the clasps of her family, trying to sell her off by cutting her hands and stuff, she manages to come through it a stronger person. I think that's really profound. So yeah, yeah highly recommend. Mm. Sounds great. great. Interesting. <laughs> cool. And now we have a poem by Phil Marsh entitled Frivolities in the Fridge. Darkness and cold filled the icebox cube. Standing on the glass shelves between the bacon and yoghurt tubes sat a yellow plastic tub, looking like a lost submarine. Decorated with flowers and grass, it is Margie the margarine. Margie looked up in envy towards the sauces and clutter. She spotted the glistening golden coat of the worshipped idolised butter. Everyone loves butter, muttered Margie. They see her as luxury. It's only when she runs out do they turn to me. Hey, don't get downhearted, the brown sauce piped up. You are wanted, just like me. At least you don't have to get smacked on the bottom to let your contents become free. You are what I call essential, 
just like cheese, jam and me. When we're not in stock, there is nothing for the kids' tea. We all appear to last and last, so please, dry up your tears. At least you're not the Worcester sauce. That poor chap's been in here for years. The butter is a show-off, wrapped in shiny gold. You are sturdy and reliable, and can be spread straight from cold. Margie started feeling much better about herself. At least she is always needed, never the same place on the shelf. A sudden sheet of light filled the fridge as the door opened far and widely. A great big hand appeared. It grabbed Margie tightly. I think we'll have cakes today, the voice boomed into the room. Another hand grabbed four eggs. The eggs, they knew they were doomed. They were going to have their heads smashed in, Margie reasoned with a glub. But then she noticed the wooden spoon swoop down and scooped all the contents from the tub. Oh, thank you very much, brown sauce. I thought we were kith and kin. Now I'm flipping empty and heading for the recycle bin. Brown sauce remembered earlier. He felt a pang of remorse. But what's this being brought in? It's a shiny bottle of red sauce. Mustard, mayo and horseradish shuffled up. Gave a wink and a giggle. It looks like you have a rival now. Brown sauce could only sulk and bristle. That was Frivolities in the Fridge by Phil Marsh. If you'd like to enter a story to be read, please check out the T's and C's on www.greencables.co.uk and when you're ready, drop us an email to contact at greencables.co.uk. We look forward to reading your story. If you are a publisher and you would like us to review your new or upcoming releases, please get in touch via our website or our email address contact at greencables.co.uk. The World Between Your Ears is a production of Green Cables. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.